version of the Lord's Prayer. I think it's priceless. Our Father in heaven, reveal who you are. Set the world right. Do what's best as above, so below. Keep us alive with three square meals. Keep us forgiven with you and forgiving others. Keep us safe from ourselves and from the devil. You are in charge. You can do anything you want. You're ablaze in beauty. Yes, yes, yes. Welcome back to Musing the Mysteries podcast. It's been a while since I've done an audio teaching here, um, but I'm glad you're listening in again. Uh, A while back, I wrote a couple of blogs on musingthemysteries.wordpress.com called uh, A Christian Response to Terrorism. And I kind of laid a philosophical basis for a biblical way of looking at our world in which terrorism threatens. And I commend those those, uh, essays to you. Um. But here I want to talk about how to pray about terrorism. I don't know about you, but I've been kind of at a loss about how to pray about our twisted world where terrorists and other violent psychopaths threaten us. But I've got some ideas that I think uh, might just help you. Um, At least they help me. So on the Sunday following the Paris terrorist attacks, my pastor was addressing the, the tragedy and asked us to pray for a while silently. And I, I found myself doing something that I don't usually do, a praying uh, what we usually call the Lord's Prayer. To be honest, uh, unless doing it in unison with other people at the end of a church gathering, I, I very seldom pray this prayer, the Lord's Prayer. But I'm beginning to use it more and more lately, and especially in relationship to the needs of the world that we live in right now. Uh, And, you know, I figure just because a lot of people simply repeat the prayer vainly and chalk it up to the fulfillment of their daily devotions doesn't give me the reason to avoid the prayer altogether. I mean, it's a, it's not only a poetic prayer, but it's, it's powerful, and so I, I'm, I'm hoping to help us think through it, especially in relationship to, to terrorism and the things that we're facing in our country these days. Anyway, what stood out to me when I started to quietly re- rehearse the prayer was the hours and the we's and the us's throughout the prayer. It's not my or I or me, uh, but it's like Jesus wanted us to pray this way with other people, or at least in solidarity with other people. 
So he's our father and we need bread and we need forgiveness and the ability to forgive and we need to be delivered. And so, and, and so it's not me versus somebody else or even us versus them. We're identified with other people in this. Um, we're praying in solidarity. I'm going to use that word a few times here because this is kind of what helped me think through this. We're praying in solidarity with the rest of Christ's body. What an amazing privilege to pray with what everybody else is praying for that loves Jesus in the world. And that's for, if for no other reason, we should be praying this prayer because we know that a bunch of other people around the world are, are praying it at the same time or on the same day at least. But <clears throat> something beyond that occurred to me while I was doing this silent prayer through the Lord's Prayer about this plurality, this solidarity that we acknowledge in this prayer. It's more than what we possess with other fellow Christians. I mean, it begins there. It's with our Christian family that we address God as Father and we thank Him and ask Him for stuff. So when we pray with Brothers and sisters, it's we and us standing in the need of prayer. But there's this other thing. This We have solidarity with fellow followers of Jesus, and that always comes first. But what we have in common with one another in Jesus, though it's profound, we also have something quite profound with the yet-to-be-converted world. In other words, we don't have Jesus inside us in common with pre-Christians, but we do have a creator in common. And we're all divine image bearers. We all, we all come from the same place. We all come from the same source. Well, anyway, as I was slowly repeating this prayer over and over, the Lord's Prayer, I felt something I don't remember ever experiencing before. And it was a solidarity with humanity. I, find, I found myself doing what I think the Bible refers to as intercession in a way that I don't ever recall doing before. So I was praying for myself, I was praying for others, but it was more like I was play, praying in the place of those who don't know to or don't even care to pray for themselves. I was interceding. I want to say that there's a precedence for this kind of praying in the prayers of the prophets. Uh, Jeremiah, uh, Daniel, and Nehemiah in particular. For instance, Nehemiah prayed. You know Nehemiah. He was uh, a, a righteous Jew living in Babylon and uh, called by God to go and rebuild the wall around Jerusalem. And when he heard of the the terrible state that the Israelites are in, uh, he prays. And here's his prayer. I think it's in chapter one. He says, I confess the sins that we Israelites, including myself and my father's family, have committed against you. We have acted very wickedly against you or toward you. We have not obeyed your commands, decrees, and laws that you gave your servant Moses. And, you know, here's a righteous man, but identifying himself with the sins of his fellow Jews. 
Daniel prayed in a similar way when he said in Daniel chapter 9, Lord, great and awesome God, we have sinned and done wrong. We have been wicked and rebelled. We have turned away from your commands and laws. We have not listened to your servants, the prophets, who spoke in your name to our our kings, our princes, and our ancestors. And to all the people in the land, we have not sought the favor of the Lord our God by turning from our sins, etc. So you know Daniel, right? A righteous uh, man in Babylon, uh, and he he's he's confessing his solidarity with his fellow uh, brothers and sisters, his fellow Jews, and then Jeremiah did the very same thing. Uh, when he said, although our sins testify testify against us, do something, Lord, for the sake of your name, for we have rebelled, we have sinned against you. You are among us, Lord, and we bear your name. Don't forsake us. And so again, he he prays in this kind of unity with people, even though, I mean, of course, we're all, all sinners, but these men were confessing sins beyond their own personal uh, their own personal sins, but in in their connection with uh, with the Jews, and, and so there's a lot of we and us prayers in the Bible and and in both testaments. But even though these godly prophets were actually the most virtuous ones in the land, they saw themselves as connected to their sinful nation, and and I propose that in the same way we are connected to our sinful nation and our rebellious world. So as I said this prayer pensively and and repeatedly, it was as though I had entered into the lives of the victims of terrorism. I was praying in solidarity with the families of the slain, with cities like Paris and later San Bernardino and that were terrorized. But there was something even more than that that happened. Even more than that, I felt like I was praying along with the perpetrators of these crimes. I was praying for the kingdom to come. I was praying for daily bread and for forgiveness along with, you know, psychopathic killers. And I, and I, I stopped and I thought, well, what do I have in common with these vicious criminals I didn't do these horrific things. I'm not like them. Am I, Lord? And the answer came just about as suddenly as the question, yes, you are like them. You're connected by your shared humanity, as though the Lord was speaking these things to me. However obscured in them, however damaged their soul, the image of God is your common ground with even the vilest murderer. Well, I mean, frankly, part of me doesn't even want to believe this. I don't want anything to do with people who can do such you know, horrific things. I don't want to believe that they have any humanity left in them or that I have anything in common with these maniacs. But twisted image notwithstanding, that image of God is still somewhere deep down in the recesses of their being, every human being. 
And I have even less inclination to admit we're linked by my own capability of committing equally wicked acts. And while I might not have, you know, actually murdered anyone, I have, as Jesus pointed out, I've got murder in my heart when I've hated other fellow image bearers. Uh, I might not have cheated on my spouse, but I've cheated in my heart and with my eyes when I've looked with lust on other women. You know, to put, put simply, a terrorist and I have a divine image as well as a sinful nature in common. We may not be equal in our standing with God or in our current trajectory to bring Him glory, but we're similar nearly as much as we're dissimilar, as much as I don't want to admit it. I may be a recipient of the divine nature infused in my spirit at new birth, but I still have the potential of horrendous evil. You know, the old saying, but for the grace of God go I. You know, Paul claims that as one member of the body of Christ suffers, so do all the rest. And of course, he's talking about how we Christians possess a special relationship with one another, you know, locally and even globally because of our connection to Jesus and to one another in Jesus. And because of that connection, how we act, what happens to us and what happens through us, it affects the rest of the body of Christ. It's our second birth that gives this special connection to us, to one another. Our spiritual birth makes us members together of his body, but we should remember that by natural birth, you know, we're members of the human race. Um, You know, we born agains tend to be quite emphatic about the supernatural difference that Jesus has made in us connecting us to God and to one another, and rightly so. I mean, it's a radical transformation and a radical connection that we have with one another. But let's not forget our profound connection to our fellow human beings at first birth, by one birth, our physical birth. As different as we are from how we used to be and from those who have yet to experience the born-again miracle, we still have something that deeply connects us. We're generated from the same source. And and so I want to say that intercession is the kind of praying that we do on behalf of those who don't know how to or don't care to pray for themselves. And when we pray this way, we're playing our role in the world, as the New Testament calls us, priests. We're a kingdom of priests to serve our God. And as such, we're responsible not only to intercede for our Christian family, but of course for the rest of our human family. So with these things in mind, I'd like to walk through each piece of this prayer, if you will, with me that Jesus taught us. Look at it and pray it from the vantage point of our shared humanity. And so after I do a you know, talk about a piece, then I'm going to offer a brief primer of prayer for each of of those pieces. And after which, each one or the entire thing, you might just pause the recording and do your own praying as the Holy Spirit leads you. Okay, 
As you know, the prayer starts with our Father who art in heaven. Our Father. He's our Father in a way that he's not in the Father of the pre-Christian. I know that. But there's another category of fatherhood that he has with the whole world. As I said, we're all generated from him. So on one level, a very fundamental level, we're all his sons and daughters. And so as I address him as our father, I see myself included in a circle of over 7 billion citizens of earth. And those of us that are Christians have dual citizenship, you know, of heaven and earth. But I see ourselves connected with all the other citizens of earth. So let me kind of give you a primer on how to maybe address God in light of our, you know, national and international circumstances and in light of our solidarity with victims of as well as perpetrators of of these sinful acts. Our Father, we're all derived from you, the terrified and the terrorizers alike. And so we come to you together, those of us in the circle who know you in a personal way and address you as Father, you know, of this amazing human family on behalf of the rest of us sinners. We all came from you. You love us all the same. We all need you from the most twisted terrorist to the most devoted believer among us. Why you would want to be the head of this mixed up human family, we can only guess is because of your unrelenting grace, our Father. So you might want to pause and add your own prayer uh, to that prayer. Then the prayer goes on, our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. So in spite of the fact that a lot of people don't believe in even a non-material world, a spiritual dimension, I still believe it, and you probably still believe it, wherever it is and whatever it consists of, we know there's a heaven, right? So I, I know that God is up, quote unquote, up in heaven in the same way that the president is up in the White House, we might say. Like, and like the president, God is in charge of his world down here. So when I pray this on behalf of our fellow humans, even the foulest of us fellow humans, I see God in that regal position in heaven. I see him in that position of power and authority. So let me offer a very brief primer of a way to address the Father in that regard. Father, on behalf of those who have and those who haven't yet looked up to you, we acknowledge that you're above us. And we see you looking down on us, so to speak, sometimes with smiles and at the same time with tears for how we're treating each other as priests in your house, as priests in your sanctuary. We recognize your place above us and we salute you, God of heaven, our Father who art in heaven. Again, you might want to pause. 
Well, the next part of the prayer is, hallowed be your name. Hallowed be your name. In other words, let your name be respected. May your name be treated with great respect. You know, and, and speaking of, you know, respect, I mean, he deserves way more than we give him, more than what even those of us who love him give him, let alone how most of the human population treat the name of the Lord. But as I pray, my hands, so to speak, joined with those with whom I share the earth on behalf of us all, I say, please, Lord, get the glory for yourself that you so deserve. Ours is a paltry reflection of your renown. What you receive back from your redeemed and your unredeemed children is an immeasurably inadequate representation of your due. So from the worst to the best of us, Lord, you deserve better. Hallowed be your name, Father. And then the prayer goes on, may your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. May your kingdom come. I'd like to remind you that God's kingdom is a condition of a heart devoted to the rulership of the king more than it's a place to go someday. So I think sometimes when people pray that prayer, they're just thinking about, you know, Jesus' return and us going to heaven. But I think he's talking about now and this condition of heart. His kingdom, you know, it consists of his subjects, which should be you and me, living in the way that he originally planned in, you know, righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. And though the majority of the universal circle of people among whom I pray are not fellow subjects yet, we all have a potential to be. He's king whether or not anyone ever acknowledges it. And because that's true, we can pray King Jesus, we need your just and righteous rulership to replace our lawlessness. Come, come benevolent ruler and take your rightful throne in our hearts, in our courts, and in our seats of government. We've tried our ways and they don't work. With our self-governing, we've made more of a mess of things brutalizing one another for our own supposed advantage. Come, Lord, and take our governments upon your shoulders. May the kingdoms of this world become more and more the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ forever and ever. And as I pause, feel free to pause and add your own way to pray in solidarity with not only the rest of the church, but even with the non-church, the unchurched, the pre-Christian world. And then, of course, the next part of the prayer is, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Well, it's a no-brainer that God's will isn't being uniformly done in our, in our hearts or our churches, let alone around the globe. And what God originally intended for humanity is so far removed from what we see in and around us, we've replaced the golden rule with do unto others before they do it to you. We've lived by not thy will, but mine be done. 
And so while God's will is for peace and justice, to love him first and our neighbor next, we've not lived that way. And so we see very little of these qualities of heaven in ourselves and in our terrorized world. So we can pray, Lord, you told us that our quarrels come from our desires that battle within us. And when we don't get what we want, we kill and we covet. This describes us as individuals and as nations uh, in a terrorized world. We want what we want when we want it, Lord, and it's killing us, literally killing us. Help us, Lord. Help us to so give ourselves to you, to be transformed instead of conformed to, to systemic evil and Help us to experience your good and pleasing and perfect will, Lord. Steer our hearts away from needing to get what we want into wanting you to get what you want. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So we identify with our starving brothers and sisters around the globe when we pray, give us this day our daily bread. Does that make sense? So let me give you a primer for that. Lord Jesus, provide for us what we, your family, your human family needs. Put food, Lord, on our collective table. Most of your children on the earth go to bed hungry and as a result are easy targets for victimization. Help us. Help us, Lord, to be part of the solution rather than part of the problem by consuming more than our portion. Help us. Help us to be willing to eat a little less so that those who have nothing can have a little more. Feed the most hungry among us through the less hungry, we pray. Give us this day our daily bread. And then forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. As I said in my introductory remarks, we're we're connected to the human family and our collective sinfulness. I mean, it's in the spirit of the prophets, Nehemiah, Jeremiah, Daniel, and others, that we can and should plead for God to forgive us our sins, the sins that are committed among us as a nation and a planet. While our plural prayers include our own law-breaking acts and attitudes, they also encompass those of our fellow sinful humans. So as such, we can pray, Father, forgive us of all that we've done to hurt your heart. Forgive us of all that we've done to harm one another. If loving you and our neighbors is what it's all about, then We have much to confess and repent of, Lord. Father, we're selfish, sectarian, murderous, and oppressive. Forgive our trespassing on your territory and on the territory of our brothers and sisters around the world. We've lost control over our our own selves, and we we self-medicate by trying to control other people. Forgive us, Father, for collaborating with the evil one by stealing and killing and destroying one another. May your blood cleanse us from our blood guilt, Father. Forgive us our trespasses.
And then it goes on to say, Jesus went on to say, as we forgive those who trespass against us. You know, on one level, this might be the easiest part of the prayer to see as least as relevant and the most difficult part to actually do, to live out. By that, I mean it's easy to identify where we've been violated by people like terrorists, but then there's the part about forgiving them. Really? I mean, God expects us to forgive ISIS for beheadings and Boko Haram for kidnappings and murder of little girls just trying to learn how to read? Well, yes, he does expect us to forgive them. Well, but if we forgive them, they're off the hook and don't get the judgment they richly deserve, right? Well, no, not so much, no. Because when we forgive, we're only letting people off our hook. God's got his his own hook, so to speak, which is, that's another thing altogether. He's the one who decides to judge and how to judge. But for our part, we're just in charge of our own hook, so to speak, you know. And when we forgive, we unhook ourselves from those who hurt us so that they can't drag us around and keep hurting us. And so we can pray, Father, we forgive ruthless assassins around the world. They've pillaged and brutalized entire cities and countries and cultures. They've bombed us and shot us and intimidated us into spending too much time looking over our shoulders and too much money to keep ourselves safe. And Lord, we forgive them. There's no way to justify or excuse their sins against humanity, but we follow your example. And we, we follow your command. We obey your command to forgive our enemies. We refuse to let them control us by hating them. We release them from our judgment and leave the judging to you, Father. We forgive those who trespass against us and lead us not into temptation. You know, somebody said, opportunity may knock, but temptation leans on the doorbell. I mean, on account of our nature that's bent towards selfishness, Temptation to do evil is as, it's as common to our humanity as the air we breathe. Temptation is, you know, one of the many things that we have in common with everybody, with all other people. And while you might not recall being tempted to behead another human being, you have to admit that the spirit of hate and acrimony regularly lures you away from God and toward, if not into its lair. So with this in mind, we, we can pray this way. Lord, we all feel the seductive power of the, temp- the tempter. The good we want to do, even the born-agains of us, we don't do, let alone those of us who don't experience the constant promptings of your spirit. And the evil that we don't want to do, we do. And it's hard enough for us to avoid sin. How much more the unconverted, Lord? Help us to reject the deceiver's lies that tell us 
that good is bad and bad is good. Help us to resist the suggestions to hurt the weak in order to feel strong, along with all our sinful family. Lord, lead us toward you and away from temptation to make this world a worse rather than a better place. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Some versions say from the evil one. Well, you know, there's both evil activity and there's an evil one. That is the devil, Satan himself. And from both, we need deliverance. We all need deliverance. Those of us who follow Jesus have been delivered from from evil and its instigator, yet we're still in constant need of more deliverance. I I think you'd agree with me about that. Well, the pre-Christian, on the other hand, is pretty much under the... the evil one's continual influence, both as a, you know, a power and a personage. I mean, he's called the God of this world, the spirit of the power of the air, the ruler of this dark world. One quick glance at terrorist atrocities today, I mean, that should convince anyone of that. I mean, it's no outlandish theology that claims that only someone saturated with evil spirits can perpetrate such inhumane acts against fellow human beings. I mean, prospective suicide bombers and hooded beheaders, they need deliverance from evil and from the evil one. But on some level, so does every one of us. And it may not ever occur to us to buy an assault rifle and fire it into a crowded public place, but the seeds of that kind of bigotry and revenge reside, I think, in every one of us. And it's in that light we should pray. We can pray. Our Jesus, our Father, set us free from the wickedness in our hearts and from the influence of the wicked one himself. We're such a twisted race of people to do such terrible things to one another, and we can't seem to get out of the perpetual cycle of this cruelty Human history is full of examples like the Holocaust and the Armenian and Cambodian and Native American genocides, the African slave trade, human trafficking, and now Islamic terrorism around the world. We just can't seem to keep from murdering one another. Deliver us, Father. Set us free from our bloodlust. Free us from the evil inside us and all around us, Father. Deliver us from evil. So finally, he has us pray, for yours is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Let me just pray a primer over that portion. Father, our Father, our Lord. This world is not ours to command. Yours is this world. You are the Lord. Our kingdom has to go in order for yours to come. You're the king, and the kingdom is yours to command. We're not in charge here. We'll never have enough power to bring peace to this war-torn world. We can't pull it off, Father. If we could, we would have by now. We've had enough time to show even the slightest improvement, but in many ways, our supposed evolving race has gotten, it's gotten much worse. 
we acknowledge that we're incapable of treating one another with even a modicum of human decency. We need your power to be better to one another, to stop our killing and to start loving like you do. Finally, Lord, all of this is about you. It's all about your kingdom and your glory. It's for your renown that we pray that you'll make us a better people. It's not about us. It's about your honor. Not just for our pleasure and prosperity that we pray for a better, a safer, a more peaceful world, but it's for your glory. Get glory for yourself, our eternally deserving Savior. Amen. Well, I hope that helps you have a context for maybe how we can begin to pray in solidarity with this world, this sin-sick world that we live in. And may it give us hope that God predicted ahead of time that we would need to pray in such a way. May God bless you as you begin to pray about terrorism the Jesus way.